Hey Pip, have you seen this? What? Hey Amanda, have you heard that? What? Hey, have you been there, Jacinta? You're listening to the live podcast from Shire Pod, and we are keeping you connected to the Sutherland Shire community with this growing podcast coming from a cafe near you. And welcome to the sixth episode of the Been There podcast. This is the live weekly podcast bringing you the news, entertainment, events, and weather from the shores of Cronulla to the bushland in Heathcote. We are broadcasting live from the Podbean app. And here at uh, ShyPod, we know that when you cross those bridges over the Georges River and Alfred's Point or drive under the waterfall overpass, you're home and this is where it's all happening. I am your host, Pip Bray. And I'm your host, JJ. And today we are in Warrenora. It's sitting on the edge of the Warrenora River with a population of 2,267. The suburb straddles the Warrenora River and is a total of two kilometres squared. The neighbouring suburbs include Warrenora Heights, Bangor, Bonnet Bay, Janelli and Sutherland. It's 27 kilometres away from the CBD. Now, we touched a little bit on the history of Warrenora last week at Sweet Mayhem, uh, but the most significant development was being the Warrenora Bridge, which opened in February 2001. Nearly 20 years ago, before that, you had to drive down to a causeway across the rickety old wooden bridge that opened in 1981 and that actually replaced a 1912 single-lane timber bridge. Before that, I don't know what was going on. No, me neither. Just a quick shout-out to Daydreamer, Belle and Owen, who's joined us this morning. And as you drove out towards Sutherland, you would have navigated the bends as it stands to get in and out of Warrenora. You still have to do that. You do have to do that. I did it this morning and it, it did bring back a few memories. I've done it several times this week and I love it. <laughs> Sorry, there is a beautiful kid-friendly park down the bottom of the eastern side, which is also home to the Georges River Junior Soccer Football Club, uh, with the Bombers from Bonnet Bay Football Club having men's and women's teams. We have a strong and historic Indigenous culture and we acknowledge that we're on the lands of the Darawal people and pay our respects. The name Warrenora has Aboriginal origins, however, there is some confusion just a little bit as to the meaning which could either mean black rocks or river of no sharks. Now there is a fire trail between Warrenora and Warrenora Heights that is closed to all vehicles. It's remained closed due to protests from those who live in Warrenora and parts of Warrenora Heights. It is accessible to pedestrians and cyclists but today's guests would know it well as it's used for emergency access. And we'll be hearing from them shortly but first... You're listening to this live podcast that is keeping you connected to the Sutherland Shire community. It's a roaming podcast, no pun intended, of course, because we are sitting in a cafe. We are coming to you today from the boat shed at Warrenora, located at 131 Prince Edward Road Park. Or Prince, how do you say that? Prince Edward Park Road. Yes. Okay, mouthful. And this series is partnered with the Shire Foodies the original Facebook group that independently reviews cafes and restaurants. Uh, this week we're also, we also got a new partner. We launched uh, with Southside Local. It's a digital wallet membership and it's where you get access to weekly discounts and deals from local businesses just by signing up as a member. Now, it's not just cafes. It's a whole heap of businesses, including automobiles and all that sort of stuff. So what we're going to recommend you do is click on the link in the show notes and sign up for this membership. It's all, it's only been open a week and it's already got 500 members. So Cam and his team have done really well. Your Southside local membership card will literally save you money 
and um, it's just another avenue for business owners to entice their customers back into their business. And this is only a small part of our connecting local customers with local business owner system as we have even bigger Yes, they do. I spoke to Cam this week, didn't we? And we had a great conversation here. There is some big stuff coming on for the Sutherland Shire. Now, this is a post-mid, post, possibly still mid COVID-19 community <laughs> initiative with Shire Pod, the station that is creating the sound waves in the Shire. Now, we're here at the Boat Shed in Warrenora. It is not just a residence and a business, but the heart of the suburb with a cafe downstairs on the waterfront and direct access to the river and kayak hire. Sarah will be happy yes. because it has an energy efficient solar panel system. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. And it's been recently renovated and photographed by our Sophie B for her Sutherland Shire Open for Business project. Yeah, now we're going to uh, shout out to another Warrenora business who was nominated in the awards. Women want adventure. But we'll be, we'll be signing up to that, won't we? Yes. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> it's it, it's adventures for women who believe in spending more time outdoors and they hold day trips, multi-day trips and women's weekends. So the details will also be in our show notes. Let's talk about the Local Business Awards. I know, it's getting close. I know. Who acknowledge outstanding local businesses and their people who go above and beyond, providing an exceptional customer service experience. Now, during the last 30 years, the Local Business Awards trophy has become a powerful symbol that local businesses aspire to. We hope Chris is listening again this morning because whilst voting has closed, you can also find out more about the finalists and the fantastic businesses in the Sutherland Shire at www.thebusinessawards.com.au. Now, Nicola and Ian, take it away, Jay. Well, today we're own, um, we're joined by the owners of the boat shed at Warrenora. We've got Nicola and Ian who have recently purchased and taken over the boat shed. The coffee is really good. Oh, good. Yeah, Thank you. really good. So you've done a lot of renovations here. Can I start with the pier, Ian? You've changed the pier over? Yeah, the deck was pretty in pretty poor condition when we arrived here, you know, workplace health and safety issues. So, uh, yeah, I've replaced it with a beautiful Australian black button. And I noticed that the wall behind Nicola has actually been used as a way of reusing the old dock and everything. Yeah, that's right. It was a bit of a funny story. We, a lot of the neighbours and wood-burning people in the valley sort of had dibs on all the timber that was, just burned beautifully well. <laughs> and we were preparing to cut it all up and uh, one of my apprentices did a bit of pressure cleaning on a few of the boards because they did look quite ratty. And uh, we've got this beautiful grain came out of them. So uh, I think it was Nicola's idea to uh, clad, the, clad the wall. It's oh. uh, beautiful timber and, and, yeah, looks really good. Let's talk about the menu because that's what people come here for. Okay. What is the most popular menu item on the menu? Uh, we have a signature item which we call the Boachhead Platter. It's a t- three-tiered tower of breakfast. Um, it's an all-day breakfast and it's very much a, s- a photographable spectacular piece um, it definitely fill you up it's often ordered for special occasions so people know it very well and come here for that very often but we've got many other things that are full of fresh uh, produce colorful everything's homemade in the kitchen by our staff on the spot that's awesome and ian you know i i, I actually saw you here the other day sitting in the corner east of energy he just does not stop the last 10 months, it's just been every day, seven days a week, doing something, fixing something, building something, and just doing it himself with this small little team of electricians. So, so um, Pip, have you got any questions for these? Amazing- I, do. I actually want to know yes. what, what the hell you were thinking when you <laughs> bought this place. Uh, it's a funny story because we were looking for a home. Uh, we, we've been renting in Caringbar, and uh, it was time to, to, to get our own thing. And we started looking around. 
and um, nothing was sort of resonating with us, probably because of our budget. And uh, we looked a little bit further away and knew of Waranora, but didn't actually know, had never been into it ourselves. Had always sort of driven over the bridge, looked down and gone, oh, that's pretty. And then just kept driving. <laughs> and um, we saw it on, on one of the sites, the property sites, and came over and Ian walked in. And I haven't had a lot of experience with buying properties. So um, I kept looking at him and he just had this very focused look. And he just he was looking around and asking a lot of questions. And Ian's done a lot of property buying before. And he, he said he had the feeling. He got the feeling, you know, the tingle. And he just saw potential. He saw um, potential for investment, potential for um, work for me. I, I'd just been doing some retail work and it was very boring. And um, <laughs> I'm sort of creatively trained and hadn't fallen into that here in Australia. So so what is your background? I'm a goldsmith and an artist. Oh, sorry, what? A, a goldsmith? goldsmith? Yes. I don't think I've ever met a goldsmith. Wow. So as in jewellery? I'm a yeah. jeweller. Yeah. And so design? Design and manufacture and fine metal. Yeah. yeah. And were you doing that over in South Africa as well? I did. I did it for a few years. Because um, they have a beautiful mine. In they the, do. They, um, in the Kimberley, isn't yeah, it? The Kimberleys, yeah. yeah. One of our precious resources is mm. diamond mining and gemstones. So, yeah. And um, I did fine arts for a few years and then yeah. fell into jewellery because I wanted to stay in design. And, um, yeah, then I worked for myself for a few years and then did a little bit of sales. And So did you have to make your own wedding ring? Are you one of those jewellers? No, I did not want to make my own wedding ring. <laughs> I wanted to be a diva. Yeah. <laughs> there, was a, nice. there was a lot of pressure on the guy that did make it. I was going to say, you've sort of got a bit of a, bit of a standard there, haven't Absolutely. you? He was well briefed from the recipient and uh, he was quite nervous. And Unlimited <laughs> reviews. The whole aeroplane on Ian's way over to propose to me, had to know about it and <laughs> have a look at the ring and see if it was good enough because so I'm what a is jeweler. It, was it a long-distance relationship there it for was a while? for a year. Yeah. Yes, we met in South Africa and um, we travelled between the two countries for a year and did exotic, wonderful things like meeting up in Paris. And, oh, stop it. Yes, I know. Oh, and safaris. And, yeah, and I can safaris. just see it. We I know. Safaris. I can yeah. see it. Yeah. And then um, yeah, I moved over with the three kids. Ian's got three kids, so we're a big blended family. Oh, yeah. And how did they go to the transition from country to country? Um, they're pretty tough kids. We had yeah. previously um, lived in Dubai for a year, and I think that kind of set the scene. Um, but it was a tough age to move. My oldest just turned 16. Mm. Um, the youngest just turned 13. It's and not I like just moving to another town. No. That's like moving to another. Yeah. Like you're not yeah. going to really see those people again, are you? Exactly. Yeah. Thank and God so. for Facebook and Skype. <laughs> And so the first year was a big transition, you know, trying to find friends, trying to yeah. fit into a school, um, you know, new, new country. It was a tough year, but they're bounced, they're resilient, and they're, they're, doing, they're thriving now. Yeah. yeah. But they, they love their life here in Australia. They do. So much freedom yeah, for them they compared do. to what they have. I was going to say, it's a quite a different even culture considering, mm. um, I mean, I was in South Africa back in the late 90s yeah. and it was uh, pretty bad back then, but I've heard that it's mm. gotten worse. It's very bad mm. politically, economically, and I think – um, there's still many people that live there and try and make it work and um, can have a good life, but mm. it's just getting worse and worse. And the contrast when I moved here, finding the safety and security, lack of walls and, you know, barbed wire fences and, you know, personal security guards and things yeah. like that, that was extraordinary. And then I can't imagine living like that though. I mean, even now in the restrictions. When it's all of, you know. Yeah. It's, um, it's normal, do, isn't it? Yeah. 
And then now I just find if all the services are working, people are fixing roads, trees get cut down. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing to see your taxes go to the right place. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll just keep on that positive thought then. I'd like to I see them positive. redirected somewhere else, but you know. <laughs> as long as somebody else from another country can well, see exactly. what's happening. Yeah. 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 We are we are very lucky here. Yeah. And I think we've gone, especially in the last nine months, we've been able to pull it together yeah. and, and Absolutely. But it's good to get a perspective from someone. And we feel so lucky to have found ourselves in Warrenora. Yeah. Tell me what it's like to live here. Yeah, we have had such incredible support. As we arrived, um, we weren't sure how we would be received because John and Jane had it for 10 years and they were well liked and Mm. um, and people were concerned that we were going to smash it down and change it. And and we kept reassuring everyone that we were going to try and keep the essence of it. Um, keep it sheddy, keep it local, um, but just sort of do put our little mark on it. And um, as we've done that slowly but surely, I think people realise that it's still it's still the boat shed, just a little bit better. And um, we've had tremendous support from the whole community. I think it's a great place for creatives as well, like a beautiful aspect. You can come down here and sit down and, mm. you know, write whatever it is that you need to do. But we've got this park across yep. the road where the kids can play. Yep. What else have you found? Because it's a little bit of a, like, I would describe it as a little country town. And that's where it I is. come from. Like, so it's like, you know, 2,000 people. I know. It's, it feels like you've driven an hour out of Sydney mm. to be here. But it's just in the Sutherland Shire, a stone throw from Sutherland. Um, but what we have found is that because it's very bushy, uh, we're surrounded by trees and water. Um, all the nature lovers, the dog walkers, the exercisers, they're all coming out. Um, a lot of people are working from home. And um, we've, we've had a lot of exposure through COVID um, that we probably wouldn't normally have had. So there has been a silver lining. Um, people weren't in shopping centres and running around like we do. And they were out here and discovering us. And it was just wonderful to um, meet more people from Bangor, Illawarra, Illawong, and all those places that are around us. Now, you know, I want to ask you, what is your crazy dream for this place? Oh, really, just to enhance what it's become over, I think, 60 or 80 years since uh, since inception. It's got a long, long history here, and that was part of the renovation dream. We wanted to maintain the boat sheddy feel and uh, keep that history. Sort of. As Do you want to give us could. a little rundown on the history of you that you've studied? Oh, uh, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't studied a lot. Uh, gee, I didn't know there was going to be a question. Oh, uh, <laughs> last question. <laughs> Uh, look, I just know that about 60 or 80 years ago, they started as a boat shed. They manufactured canoes. Um, probably, I'm not sure how many years ago, but they actually rented tinnies, tinnies and out. And there, I've still got the winch in the driveway that used to winch them up from the ramp over there where the, uh, the jet skis now used to winch them up all the way up the side of the they building. They were stacked all over, weren't they? They were stacked all over. I uh, used to winch them up the, right up the side of the building. Um, and that was very popular because mm. of then insurance costs uh, from previous owners explained that churn costs sort of drove that out. So, yeah. um, and they manufactured canoes here uh, and then small started as a small kiosk, you know, just pies and sausage rolls and then in, in evolved into a full cafe and and really we just want to enhance it and make it better than. We're quite yeah. attached. I was going to say, I think the locals yeah. are going to be quite happy to hear that, that yeah. it's going to stay the way it is yeah. and um, keep that thing. Well, thank you so much for hosting this this morning. So um, it was such a, you know, it was, we're just so grateful to be able to come down and, and talk to you guys and get to know your story. And it's lovely that you, you guys have reopened and kept it the way it is. Now, I'm just going to reiterate here that you guys are extremely busy during the weekends. Yep. <laughs> With COVID, you have to have only a certain number of people. Phone the boat shed. Yeah. Headline. 
We'll have a table for 12. <laughs> it's 10. It's 10. Now, I, just, I did want to tell you, we, we got a lot of messages through the week about this place because when we were advertising that we were coming down here and Lynn Thomas wrote to us and said that it's just such a great location, delicious food, efficient and friendly staff. Um, and that was just one of, you know, probably 20 we that we got. We that, that feedback. So that's what yeah. we really wanted to express to you, that there's a lot of people out here that are prepared to support you, especially during these times. But the idea is that we're going to try and get you some more feedback about what this place Thank is you. like so that, you know, keeps you going. I think that's a real motivator. We have an amazing time. manager. We probably really should give a big, a big oh, yeah. shout out to. Yasmin. <laughs> yeah. She's not here today, but she's she's. She holds it all together here. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine how busy it would get. Thank you so much. And we're going to move on to our next segment. Which is the news. Oh, good. Yes. Well done. Let's I know. do that. So uh, this week in the Southern Shire News, this week is Homelessness Week. So in 2016, we had over 255,000 people homeless. In 2019, it had increased to 290,300. Now, that is a shocking statistic, but the most sh shocking one is that it's 60% of those were women. So that equates to 173,600. Uh, 13 of those are actually over the age of 55, and that's a, a topic close to my heart, but we are trying to do something about that. I think it's becoming more prevalent, especially with women not having enough super mm. as they transition into retirement. And I've spoken to Rachel Hamlin from over at Fairvine about this in an upcoming podcast on domestic violence um, and abuse called All About ABO. So there's another interview there that um, will explain what that looks like for people. So Mission Australia notes that uh, last financial year, 40% of those searching for accommodation have experienced domestic and family violence too. Yeah, now helping those throughout COVID has become more pressing, especially with the strict rules to remaining indoors and isolating, becoming more essential to slow down the spread. The New South Wales government responded with investing an extra $34 million to boost temporary accommodation and providing private rental assistance packages. Now, this is a proposal by Social Housing, which I think is a... a something that the advocates have been going after for a very long time because it's to help with that transition, you know, and mental health and drug and alcohol services on top of the actual housing that they get as well. And that those packages included more funds for Rent Choice Start Safely, which allows those escaping domestic family violence access to support services too. Yeah, so if you know anyone that is homeless or at risk of homelessness, you can actually call Link to Home on 1800 because... This is a controversial thing, but basically in 1987, our Prime Minister back then, Bob Hawke, said that by 1990, no Australian would live in poverty. Now, it's 30 years later and we still nearly have 300,000 people living in poverty and facing homelessness. So we came up with a list of how we can help solve this problem as our community because it's obvious that our governments are not going to be doing that or putting it as a priority. So there are campaigns like the CEO Sleepout that raise money, but supporting our local agencies and charities that are providing the services inside the, the Sutherland Shire that is making the difference. Now here at the Being There podcast, we want to help you understand how going about your normal daily activities are actually helping the organisations that are helping these organisations that are supporting those facing being homeless. As Brooke said to us two weeks ago from Kingsway Care, having somewhere to live, having food and clothing are just basic human needs. Now, we know that homelessness is an issue in the Shire, but just how big the situation is cannot really be determined. But here's what you can do. Yeah, now I've heard this week that it ranges from 15 people in the Shire to over 80. 
but we actually know that that's not uh, the qualifier. It's people who are couch surfing, who are sleeping in their cars, who are in transitional or overcrowded housing. One we did speak to a couple of weeks ago was Project Youth. Now they have a cafe. It's a commercial enterprise that's not only providing the financial assistance, but educational and employment opportunities for our young people. Now Menai Central is a supporter of Project Youth. So just by going into your local club, you're helping. Yeah, and they provide financial donations. We've also spoken to Kingsway Care, like I mentioned, who are providing support to Platform 9, Jacaranda Cottage and Southern Cross Kids. And they're also providing uh, accommodation to youth at risk. And uh, they're also supported by Club um, Central, Club on East and the Tradies, who we're going to be speaking to in, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I heard that conversation. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I spoke to them yesterday. So they're very keen to come on board when we're in Miranda. And they also support the Dandelion Support Network and are also supported by both the Georges River and the Sutherland Councils, which is great. Yeah. Now, last week we also spoke to Michelle from Care and Concern who are providing monthly meals for the homeless and Savannah Vale and retirees. And we'll be speaking with One Meal and the Community Co-op in two weeks' time who are providing meals and assistance to those vulnerable people in our community, both young and old. Now, they're supported by the tradies who are also providing support to Arana and a number of other community programs for people displaced from their homes or financially unable to find suitable housing. Now, inadvertently, you can purchase Social Bums toilet paper. Ah, we want to give a shout out to them. This was a great initiative and a great program. Socialbums.com.au. All profits go to the homeless. Check out their website. And Orange Sky Laundry. Now, I like this one. Mm. Orange Sky Laundry Fundraiser in September, where they're asking you to wear the same clothes for three days to raise money for their portable shower and laundry service that goes around and washes clothes for the homeless and allow them to have a shower. That is an awesome. We've signed up a team. So if you want to join the Shire Pod team, you can uh, go to our website and sign up for that. We know of Sydney Street Kitchen and keep in mind that both Youth Off the Streets and the Salvation Army, Street Smart Australia and Mission Australia all help these people out. So I can't imagine that there is a loophole anywhere, um, but we still seem to have a problem. So if you'd like more information, please visit our show notes and read the blog where we will provide links to all of these services. As you can see, we're a little bit passionate about this week. And as a reminder, help is only a phone call away. Yeah. So you can always call and Lifeline. Yep. Now, the reason we're doing this uh, podcast today about homelessness is that we've actually got the RFS and SoShire, uh, the volunteer hub coming in to talk about, you know, the homeless people left from uh, the bushfires as well as the animals that have been left homeless because of the devastation of the bushfires. If you're just tuning in, though, we're at the boat shed at Warrenora. Big shout out to Booty Back and Tam for joining us as well. Oh, she was on my list. Oh, that's good. <laughs> um, and, of course, Daydreamer is saying the breakfast stack looks amazing. Oh, so. good. All right, so we're located in Warrenora today and our uh, this is our entertainment venue, actually. As well as the no, Warrenora RSL. That's correct. With everything going on, the RSL is open. However, it's only open Thursday and Fridays from 3pm onwards and Saturday and Sundays from 2. The restaurant will be open on those days from 5pm. But if you're keen for pizza, cool. <laughs> Perry's Pizza and Pasta at 2232, owned by the same family that are as the Sutherland and Loftus Cafes 2232, has recently opened in Warrenora. It's boasting a delicious menu. Get down there on a Tuesday and Wednesday night for all-you-can-eat pasta and pizza. $20 for adults and $10 for kids. We're all looking at poor. Going, we're booking in Wednesday <laughs> night, not cooking. Um, okay, what's up with the weather this weekend? So right now in Warrenora, it is 9 degrees. But today's weather is expected to be cloudy with a high chance of rain. It's already been raining. 
Now, this weekend is bringing us some more showers with a minimum of 11 and a maximum of 17 on Saturday. Similarly, on on Sunday, it's a minimum of 10 and a maximum of 16. It's going to be a little bit chilly. Yes, and if everyone... That, doesn't, can... that won't stop you from hiring a canoe, no. coming down, having and breakfast. You just do what uh, Pip does and wear a nice little beanie. I've I'm always got a beanie. My head is cold. Now, uh, we've got Dylan's report. It's a very special report this weekend. Uh, and we want to say thank you to her. So let's go straight to the report. iPod fans, today I want to talk about why I believe playing sports is great for kids. I play soccer, tag league and tennis and also enjoy dancing and acro. Sports is great as it keeps kids active, fit and healthy. But there are heaps more benefits to kids. Team sports helps kids develop teams, work leaderships, problem solving and communication on and off the field. Sport can be so much fun but can also boost self-esteem and confidence. When you achieve your goals on the field, it teaches you that you can achieve other goals in life when you apply yourself. Finally, sports can exercise is a natural stress reliever and helps kids form health, lifestyle, habits and positive connections to believe being active. So I'd say to all kids, you should give sports a go. You will have fun, get fit and meet new friends but you will also create great memories and habits for life. I look forward to playing soccer and tag league with my teammates on the weekends. And I really love when I score a goal on try, but Getting to play with my teammates is the most fun. I'm Dylan Hamer, your Shire Pod Junior Sports reporter. Have a fab Friday and let's hope the rain holds off the sports goes ahead this weekend. Oh my God, she is so adorable. I absolutely love our Dylan's reports. So just uh, letting everyone know we are at the boat shed at Warrenora. This week we have Scott Della from the Southern Shire District um, New South Wales Royal Fire Service and also the Liaison Officer to Fire and Rescue New South Wales. We also like to welcome uh, Captain Mitch from Warrenora Rural Fire Brigade. Uh, today we've been discussing homelessness and 2020 has been a devastating year for both um, people losing their homes during the bushfires as well as the wildlife. But Scott and Mitch have seen firsthand the crisis and the impact of the fires this fire season. So, Scott, can you tell us a little bit more about what your role is at Sunland and the impact of the fires eight months on? Jeez, that's a very broad question. <laughs> so I'll do my best to answer that. So uh, my role on the Sunland Shire is 
basically keeping the community safe from bushfires. Uh, obviously, we're very lucky we have a large network of volunteers, so 900 locally across our 13 brigades, who do an amazing job, not only just protecting our local community, but, but also looking after other areas of the state. So luckily, uh, we only had the one fire, which was in Temptation Creek area in the Royal National Park, and our firefighters collectively from all our fire agencies were able to put that fire out quite early and quickly, uh, even though there was an emergency warning. So we ended up protecting the, the community of Kirawi in particular. So it was a fantastic result. But the firefighters, as Mitch will probably t tell you about, is spent most of their time actually anywhere but the Sutherland Shire, this fire season, or the last fire season. So the fire season started in the northern area of New South Wales in August, uh, and it actually ended up on the south coast in January. So, and, and pretty much most of our firefighters were away during the season for a significant period of time. So my role is really about coordinating that, making sure they get to where they need to go, making sure that the community is safe from bushfire through hazard reductions and community engagement and a range of activities. It's only yesterday or the day before we started the review of the bushfire risk management plan, uh, which is a really important plan in terms of uh, protecting the community, identifying assets at risk and then treating those risks. So the last few years, volunteers, Fire agencies and land managers have been doing a fantastic job. So I, I know I do a lot more than that, but I don't want to take up your whole morning. And I must say, this is the best studio I've ever been to. It's amazing. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and we have the best coffee too this morning. So Mitch, um, Warrenora is only a handful of brigades in the state that is quite specialised. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, look, uh, Warrenora Brigade is one of only a few purely marine brigades in the rural fire service. Uh, we don't actually have a fire truck. We've got three fire boats. Um, Warrenora started, I think we one of the, actually were the first based on this way, and I think about 1950, mid 1950s. And in about the mid 19, that was at the upper Warrenora uh, fire brigade. And then in about the 1960s, mid 60s, it reformed and became the Warrenora um, rather than upper Warrenora. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a bit of our history. We've only got boats, we've got three boats, some wonderful crew with some pretty resilient people with great sense of humor, a great team. Um, and we look after the local community here, uh, but we also have a broader responsibility in the uh, river system. So west of the um, Captain Cook Bridge, uh, we have a responsibility for on-water fires, which includes marinas. We also have responsibility around the Port Hacking River System and Hacking River System as well. Um, and uh, our, our crew, you know, apart from looking after our local community, we also get called upon to help across the state and interstate. Um, we've had crews in, I think, every state except West Australia Northern Territory over the years uh, helping out. So as Scott were talking, uh, we were active last year from August through to, I think, early February. Now, that unique aspect of your brigade, mm -hmm. how did that come in handy this last finance, uh, this last fire season? Okay, so um, our brigade did some pretty unique things. Um, our vessel, one of our large vessels was on Warragamba Dam, and we had crew active on that dam probably for about a month, I think the, the 1st of December to probably... I think it was the second, first or second week of February, we actually came, the boat came off the dam. And uh, if you're not familiar with that dam, um, it basically stretches from just under Katoomba down to I think near Hilltop almost. It's a long way and from Warragamba. And our crew were working in a very remote environment. They were getting to areas um, where they were able to provide uh, some intelligence, which just wasn't available where the fire was. We used some of our new, 
new equipment on our new boats. Our new boat's got a fantastic system on it. Um, some new FLIR cameras. We recorded the fires crossing the dam into the communities there and we were able to call an aircraft to that and give them advance warning the fire had crossed the dam. Um, our, our crew have also got some very unique skills and extraordinarily pow, uh, proud of them. Um, we, we were instrumental in, in stopping the fire on the northeastern side and heading in towards, I guess, Penrith by running hose lines and hand tool lines up from the dam itself to some of the fire trails through some very rugged country and some, some extraordinary efforts by a lot of people, um, not just our brigade, but uh, in that. But uh, since we can operate off the water, we've got unlimited water um, to, mm -hmm. to work on that. Um, we can also carry in large crews uh, to that. And we also found ourselves shuttling uh, remote area fire crews, the raft teams in and out. Sarah Joe, who's a marine scientist and the leading force but, uh, behind So Shire, sustainable organisations in the Shire as well as Plastic Free Southern Shire, She's here today to take time out from helping and educating local businesses above and beyond. So, Sarah, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. So, Christy, do you want to tell us a little bit about what is the Volunteer Hub? And I know that's a broad term because you did a lot. Yes, I did. How it started, why you started it and what it involved. Okay, so basically, um, like everyone else, I was watching the news in January of the fires and the catastrophic loss that we had of wildlife and national parks. And I was trying to volunteer everywhere. I was you know, pulling wires, arc, um, shelters. I had time on my hands. And I could also see on social media people trying to do the same. And they were giving up because they couldn't get through to anyone. Because understandably, Everybody was inundated trying to yeah. work with carers. So I wanted to create basically a platform for people like me to wait and for people that needed help to come along and ask for it. Yeah. And um, I didn't want people giving up when they were yes. offering their time. So I created the Volunteer Hub and basically it is a place that um, carers can come and ask either for financial help, for time, for materials uh, and volunteers, everyday people. I wanted to enable the general public to be able to help in different ways. There's no obligation. There's no amount of time they have to commit to. It can be as simple as sharing a post. Yep. Or um, We had so many amazing stories happen every single day. It grew very quickly. Do you have a particular story? I do. Often? Yeah, <laughs> I have lots actually. It was interesting when you asked, when you all asked me to come here, I went through and had a look at what had happened in such a short time. I remember um, creating the platform and thinking, oh, what happens if nobody asks for help and yeah. all these people are waiting to help? <laughs> and within a few days, I had somebody let me know from Western Australia, they're really remote. It was a carer whose um, car had broken down. Yeah. Within 20 minutes of posting on the volunteer hub, she had somebody offer to drive the six hour round <gasps> trip to take the supplies to her. And then another woman offered to help do another convoy for her within 20 minutes of posting wow. on my brand new platform. Social media, um, yeah. the power of social media. Yeah. And every single day there were stories like that. I had another, some days I would be offline and things would be happening in the background. So they didn't need me to manage it. They yep. could do it themselves. And it brought people together. It was amazing. You've, you know, the big organisations are important, yes. but I think what you've highlighted here, how easy it is, you know, for one person mm -hmm. to provide a platform to help other people help other people. That's right. And you know, exactly. and for the instant, you yeah. know, immediate. Yeah. Um, that 
was it a did it create a lot of work for you oh it was huge <laughs> it was um but I enjoyed it like it was yeah. also therapeutic for me because I was struggling like I am this isn't my background I yeah. was just a member of the general public I was devastated when the first figures came out I think on New Year's Eve it was 500 million um, animals were lost and then a few days later it was um, increased to a billion at the time this is January so yes. the fires were burning for a long time yeah. and um I just knew I had to help. I couldn't not help. It was just, I was devastated. <laughs> and so, you know, and people wanted to give, you know, money, but that's actions, right. you yeah. know, people, it gave people, you know, something they could do. You that's know? right. And it, and it helped them as well right. because people were devastated. They were donating money, but there was obviously controversy with a few of the big um, wildlife foundations where the money was going and how yeah. quickly it could get out to carers. Yep. This was immediate. So That's somebody right. could ask that day for something and people were responding immediately. Without, without money, you know. like Without if I, money. So if I towels, yeah, I, I had, can give it straight away. And yeah. people were doing it very selflessly. Like I had a woman in Marrickville who had a juice bar, had all this excess and didn't even talk about her business, just said, oh, I've got all this extra stock. Does anyone need it? A carer in um, Southern Highlands did. And within a few hours, somebody had offered to pick up the food from Marrickville, get it to, I think, Campbelltown. Somebody else picked it up from Campbelltown, took it to the carer. Wow. And they just, just, they just, it, it was just amazing. Worked. Every single happened. day. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. so many stories like that. And so it started in Southern Shire. Do you know, when yes. I first heard about you, talking about, you know, social bums, toilet yes. paper, which oh. is quite a hot topic, <laughs> you know. We're talking about bushfires and homeless, but, you that's know, right. at the moment with COVID. But that's how I first came across okay. you. Yeah. It was a call. What, what's it called, your uh, toilet paper? It was Fair Roll Initiative, Spare, a quest for toilet paper. <laughs> quest for toilet paper. So, you know, you weren't just about the wildlife. No. You know, you were doing all these different things. So yes. that's why it's called the Volunteer Hub. Yes, that's right. So it was basically initially started for wildlife and then I – branched out to do some other social in initiatives yeah. um, and the toilet paper came about. I was full-time uh, every single day, every minute running the volunteer hub with wildlife and then I went to my local pharmacy and they were telling me they had 30 people on their wait list for toilet paper and these are people they deliver scripts to so they're disadvantaged or elderly yeah. um, and I said this this is not acceptable and it was in the stage where everyone was hoarding. And this is the type of people that couldn't, you know, Stockpile. That's exactly right. right. They, they, yep. Or they, you know, they couldn't go out and buy 50 packets. Uh -huh, you know, yep. they literally are the type of people that would buy a six pack yes, a exactly. week, or, you know, two weeks or whenever yeah, they get out. Exactly. So, so yeah. I thought I'd use the Volunteer Hub platform because I had such a great following to reach out to my local community. And I had initially um, rang a few friends in corporate and said, Do you know anybody that works at the head of somewhere we can get toilet paper out? And I said, It's too complicated. And I thought, There's got to be a way. So then I just reached out to local community for that pharmacy particularly and said, oh, can anyone spare a roll or two? And within four hours, their wait list was cleared. And then I went to the next pharmacy, then the next pharmacy. And we had, I think, about 10 in the Sutherland Shire participating. Tony and Guy and Cronulla also participated. And um, it was amazing because a few of the pharmacies had also been having homeless people come in asking for supplies. Yep. Uh, then expanded into the inner west and then Sydney Street Kitchen. It was incredible. It just grew and it was so easy. And, that, you know, that's what you were saying at the start, you know, it was people wanted to do something. That's right. They just needed, you know, the information or who needs what I've got. Yeah, providing the how. Basically. That's right. So, you know, quite a simple, you know, situation that you've created. Yeah. It was, you know? it was it, everyone could be involved in it. And, 
I think through the process, not only did they were they able to help, it changed people's mindsets. Like we, even the first pharmacy, I, I know them well, and they just said everyone went from hoarding because every day they had obviously people coming in buying extra things that they didn't need, and yeah. he said it just changed everybody's mentality and people were coming in giving. What else can I give? What else do you need? What else you know can I do to help? And that offers for people to go to elderly's homes and do their garden. And he said you just changed their whole mentality yeah. from hoarding to giving and remembering why you know we're a community we need to help each other that's in right times of remembering you know not just me who else in my community that's right need help yeah. um this might be a you know a kind of bit of a segue but um it's august i'm pretty sure it's august yeah i've, I've lost count this year we've got through the last bushfire season mm-hmm. we're through covid but when does the bushfire so-called season begin because i'm just thinking about you know, we're in the COVID collections, community collections, but it's August and when does the normal bushfire season, when I say normal, you know, in, in <laughs> inverted, inverted commas. commas, yeah. So it's just wonderful to hear about the work of, you know, and we talk about an emergency management about spontaneous volunteers and here is a, a wonderful effort of collating a whole lot of people who want to help and actually tasking them out to do work so it's an amazing story and you know on behalf of the rural fire service and i'm sure the community as a whole thank you it's amazing to hear about in terms of the the bushfire season so the official bushfire season uh, starts on the 1st of october and it runs through the 31st of march we're really pleased this year that we are in a significant wet period there's certainly talk about a la nina event uh 50 chance of that occurring which means basically means that New South Wales or the east coast of Australia will potentially get above average rain. And I, and I saw Jacinta before crossing her fingers about, <laughs> you know, are we at the end of COVID? Well, there's a long way to go with that. Will we see a bushfire season? Well, who knows? But what they're saying at the moment is that, you know, there's probably a normal bushfire season. So you only have to have a couple of hot, warm days and potentially have bad bushfires. But the reality is, are we going to see a protracted season like we did in the last season? The answer is probably no. But it's important to mention we've a lot of rainfall, that's great for our forests on the East Coast, but over the Great Divide Range, that yeah. promotes grass growth. Yes. And as we head into this time of year, we we'll, may see some August winds, we see some drying, the grass, what we call cures off, which basically dies. So you can see significant grass fires. So that's going to be a real risk for our rural communities over the Great Divide. Locally, fingers crossed, I think we'll be okay, but we're only in August. So, so you know, we're certainly talking about the wetter part of the year being this part of the season, who knows what will happen in January. So we'll just wait and see. But our firefighters, Mitch, with the local brigade, who has, you know, I was only just reminding myself of how, how much experience Mitch has in the in, in the brigade as a volunteer, 41 years this year. So, wow. you know, whether it's Mitch or any of our other 13 brigades, you know, that they'll be ready to respond to the fire like they do every other year. So, And um, with the rain, you know, there's pros and cons of it. Does that stop us doing backburning or is there anything left to backburn? Yep, I, I, I love the word backburning, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's, what's the official term? Please. Uh, ha- hazard ex- reduction. Yeah. Hazard reduction, I, I just you. like watching the social media posts. When someone says backburning, <laughs> there's another 10 people correcting it, but I know Good. what you mean. No, that's, yeah. that's excellent. Yeah. That's what we need, yeah. hazard reduction. Yeah. So hazard reduction burning, which is about removing the fine fuels before a bushfire event, and we do that during the cooler months of the year, but rainfall plays a significant role. So I was only going through some stats over the last five years about available opportunity, has really only been over the last five years, it's been May, August and October, where mm. we've actually had the opportunity to do hazard reduction burning because the rest of the year has just been too wet or potentially too dry and too dangerous. So it really is a challenge, but the important message is that hazard reduction burning is just one of the tools we'd use to protect properties from fire. 
fire. We have mechanical asset protection zones. Yes. Uh, we equip fire and rescue, equip their community fire units for training and resources. We have obviously our brigades and fire agencies able to respond to fire. But even if you were to knock down or rebuild your home or have an alteration or addition, you're going to get a set of standards to make sure it's more resilient to bushfires. Right. So our new subdivisions, you know, there's new subdivisions in Menai and the like, they're being built to a bushfire standard. So they're not hard up on the bush. They have what we call lesser protection zones. So these clear buffers to prevent flame contact and rain and heat. So there's a range of measures. Hazard reduction burning is just one, but it is an important point. There is only little opportunity to do mm. it. And, and, and the figures over the last five years has been 56 activities. And that's averages about 11 per year. And okay. that's and our program generally each year is anything from 20 to 30 burns. So I was speaking earlier, it's a bit like painting the Harbour Bridge. Yes. You just keep painting away and keep plugging away at it, but focusing on those areas at highest risk. Excellent. And I was talking to Pip earlier, you know, we're talking about the homelessness that was caused by these bushfires. You know, I might have missed it a little bit earlier. And then we're also talking about, you know, the environmental you know, situations, we can talk about, you know, the pollution from the fires and what happens to, you know, people's homes or the waste from the home, you know, goes to landfill, um, you know, just doing more research. I never thought about that, you know, where all those things have to go. Like I only learned last week, you know, doing some research, you know, like this particular woods that when they're in fire, you know, they produce certain contaminants. Like I never thought about that. Like, you know, where all that stuff goes after you know, a house has been burnt. Um, but I just wanted to talk about a bit more about, you know, the wildlife since we've got, you know, Christy here. You know, the latest stats, you know, they were saying a few months ago maybe 1.5 billion and now it's, you know, estimated to be about 3 billion. Um, locally or through, you know, Australia-wide through the Volunteer Hub, are there any, you know, specific stories with wildlife, um, you know, whether it came rescue or you'll be able to provide, you know, some solutions. Yeah. I would love to have the platform running long term. I think it's needed. I think carers are all volunteers. They need as much support as they can get. Um, and it's important to really understand how lucky we are to have what we have in Australia. Like three billion animals lost is unbelievable and heartbreaking. Um, we need to protect what we've got left. And unfortunately, fires will come again. We need um, protocols in place to help save what remains because after the fires, there was also a starvation event. That's right. And obviously there are restrictions and safety has to be taken into consideration to how those protocols could be put in place. Um, we obviously had groups form for emergency feeding and they were successful and it's important that it's done in the right way as well. Um, and we need to really start thinking as a whole, as a society, what do we value? Do we value our wildlife? Do we want to have silent forests? And it sounds really dramatic, but we are so lucky in or Australia. Or forest at all, if they're... That's right, yeah. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, in Australia, we, we just believe the bush is going to bounce back. Fire is good. It's meant to burn. That's not the case in fires like this. You know, we lost so much. I think 35% of our national parks were lost. And, um, you know, as you said, 3 billion animals, which is phenomenal. Um, and there are other factors in play that impact our um, national, our, our animals and, you know, the environment that um, if we can support carers, the ones that are actually working to save every life they can, that would be great moving forward. And, yeah. And there's still people needing things. Oh, definitely. You know? It's ongoing. So, unfortunately, because of COVID, things 
um, changed. You know, groups yeah. were driving from Sydney up to the Blue Mountains, South Coast, Central Coast to help. And obviously with restrictions coming in, projects had to close down. Um, local groups could still work together because social distancing was adhered to. But um, the focus also, the attention was taken off the bushfires mm-hmm. and the loss because obviously when there's a pandemic going on, of course people are going to be more concerned about their wellbeing and, you know, it takes the back burner. Um, but unfortunately we need to still have the focus on it. We need to, for the future of our wildlife and what we have, what we hold dear in Australia, we all need to be a part of it to, to help recover. And that includes, you know, there's still a lot of local groups there are. sewing. Amazing. Know. There's a huge group. Um, run in the Southern Shire that does those pouches and yep. helps deliver them to carers. Um, they, you know, they're amazing. There's groups everywhere. You, if you, and that's what the Volunteer Hub brings it all together. So you can actually look on there and see people posting for volunteers or materials, fabric. It can be people building nest boxes. Um, and there's so many different ways that people can be involved. There's no obligation. You don't need to commit an hour a week. It can be a few minutes of your time. It can be picking something up and dropping it somewhere. Um, it's really a simple way that everybody can be involved to help preserve what we've got left. That's right. I'm, it's quite a huge topic and for a Friday morning, what can we do as individuals to limit our effect? How can we stop bushfires or limit the chances of more bushfires? I know that's a huge, huge question. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it is a massive question. And, yeah. and after a season we just have, how yeah. can you actually mitigate that? And the answer probably is you can't. You know, here's, here's a significant dry signal that we've had. You know, two or three years leading up to this, below average rainfalls and the, the amount of bushland that was burning across the state, um, 5 million hectares, yeah. a significant amount of um, our forested areas impacted. So how do you stop that in the future? We can certainly work on protecting lives and properties and the like, but how do you stop landscape burns from lightning? Mm. That's quite a challenge. And, and you know, I don't want to, you know, preempt what inquiries and the like may have, but that, that will be some of the consideration. How do we how do we stop that in the future? And at a local level, we'll keep continuing what we're doing, which is protecting lives and properties, but also balancing that with the environment, which is really, really important. I know that those who follow social media will see some really good outcomes happening locally in terms of, koalas moving back into the area mm-hmm. and that's that's probably because of the wildfires happening further to the west of sydney that's you know right. they're, they're yeah. coming to the east so every hazard reduction burn we do there's an environmental assessment being done to make sure you know is is it a powerful owl that might be nesting is it a koala that may be in a tree you know and, and and they're just the two that people come to mind but there's a whole lot of fauna and flora that's really really important to our local areas so making sure we consider that and the reality is to what we're trying to do in a way, we're trying to implement a natural fire regime, mm-hmm. but the reality is there's this bias towards life and property. So it's never going to be a natural regime because a natural regime, a natural fire occurs in summer. Yes, We can't introduce fire in summer because it's too dangerous. It yes, comes with a consequence. So trying to mimic some kind of natural fire, and there's you know there's a whole debate about, you know, is a cultural fire a natural fire? Is a lightning-based fire in European origin natural fire? Mm-hmm. And that's What's right or wrong? And, you know, again, that would open a very broad conversation. So, you know, and I guess as a fire agency, we're trying to trying to mimic a natural fire in the landscape by considering things like how often we burn, what's the intensity going to be, what time of year do we actually burn and how much do we burn? So because the last thing you want to do is like we've seen through the fire season have wildfires that take out your whole area. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do from a planning perspective is smaller areas, which allows particularly mobile fauna to move sideways or out or at an intensity where like koalas they're, they're well versed in fires so in a low intensity fire 
they'll just climb to the highest point of the tree and it's quite survivable for them and then they'll move on. So yeah. trying to manage all those. And, and you spoke about, and I know I've spoken a bit here, but spoken about homeless people and rough sleepers. That's a significant issue for, for yes, ourselves because we know around our train stations, particularly in the Royal National Park, right. we, we have 20 or yeah, 30. Like River too, River Valley, the Warrenora yeah. River Valley. So 20 or 30 people residing right. in our bushland areas. So these are these are people we need to consider. So in the past, if, if those who remember the, the 19, 1994 bushfires that mm. impacted the Royal National Park, Como Janali, that part of the containment effort of that fire in the Royal National Park was to a, to do a backburn to contain that fire. But now there's people residing in that area. So our whole fire management strategies have yeah. to change. But the good news story is with, with agencies and obviously the help of various organisations that every year there's a homeless person audit. So the police, okay. national parks and the RFS get together, they put a helicopter up, they put trail bikes on the ground. We find out where these homeless people are and we try yeah. to reaccommodate them. Through, through government networks and the like. So all this stuff that you don't see yes. is happening behind the scenes. It's really, really important. Yeah, we, we've, we, we keep an eye on, on, on people we know in our local community. We, we work through some uh, liaison with council and some of the um, uh, service providers to let them know where the rust sleepers are. There's okay. actually a rust sleepers program. We're very okay. much aware of that. Um, on the ground, I guess, in the firefront, um, all our members are very conscious of this and we keep it, we keep a very good eye on it. We, we have discussions quite regularly with a district office and with council around this. Um, and also just talking to the endangered uh, flora and fauna, the, you know, the brigade members, you know, down to the individual, they're all very conscious of this. So when we're doing hazard reductions and the like, when we do that, we, we work quite hard to protect those within what we can. And as a matter of fact, it's actually a significant amount of work and effort and just sheer hard work has to go into protecting those. So we've got nesting trees or we've yes. got particular flora or you know animals we have we put in significant effort to do that and actually it's a, it's a quite a burden on the volunteers to actually protect those those areas it's um actually makes our life hard but, say, but we but we, we don't mind doing it it's kind of why we do it you know <laughs> I was say, big thanks to those volunteers yeah, yeah. like we we have a lot of has reductions planned in this river valley with as scott said getting the goldilocks weather that we need to yes. do that is challenging. Well, the unicorn weather, is that what yeah, they yeah. call it now? I don't know. Yeah. I like that too. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, and then we've got like the the, the protected species and, and the like that we're trying to protect. Like Scott said, we kind of do like a patchwork quilt. So you've got to kind of do it and around that. And it, it's, it actually makes it harder to execute, um, but it's something that we, we strive to do. Thank you. I've puffed, well, what I probably wanted to say is two things. From today, I will never say back burning again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Has a reduction, has a reduction. Yeah. And that if you're feeling a bit lost, you know, when there is, you know, a disaster, a pandemic, there are local solutions that go, you know, to regional areas or Australia-wide. So how can we contact you? Um the Volunteer Hub is on Facebook and there is a Facebook page and a group to join. Um, there are three, there's Volunteer Hub Wildlife Group and there's also Spare Roll, but that's not needed anymore. So um, I'd say just go to the wildlife well, one. Hopefully not. Hopefully, hopefully not. not. Yeah. Um, and I'll also have a website as well, um, just the volunteerhub.com.au. Um, but definitely a Facebook page is where everything, all the requests come in for help and offers for help as well. And that's where you put you know, in contact with other people, That's like right. the Wildlife yeah. Emergency Rescue local That's sewing right. group and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they post themselves actually. That's so right. I don't need to manage it. They will post when they need help or they've got an event running and which other they need volunteers for. 
and you just need to join the group and you'll see the, um, the post come up and you can join what you need to do. So that's probably a very good call out. If you need something, yep. post on there. That's right. If you've got something to offer that's or right. can help that person or those people, the organisation, that's a great place to go. Definitely. Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much, <laughs> Joe. Um, that was a beautifully led conversation and I think it was very interesting. We we're getting some great comments in about how much information that you've been able to extract from these people this morning um, and we really appreciate you coming in and telling us how we can help. Um, Christy, you've done an amazing job. I, you know, I literally <laughs> well up and get goosebumps when you tell, you tell me your stories like I did yesterday as well. Um, but I know that there's so many more out there and we're going to get to them and we're going to uh, tell them as well. Right. And, and guys, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate your time this morning um, and sharing everything that you've been able to give us so that the community knows exactly what you're doing and um, how we can help you. Thank you. And it's wonderful to be in your best studio in the Shire, the Warrenora <laughs> Boat Shed. So yeah. if you haven't been down here, come down. Come down. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, it is a beautiful area here and it's a great place for photography. Uh, isn't it, Jacinta? Just a little. So speaking of which, we've been joined by Sophie B this morning and another Shire woman, Taylor Martin, um, who's joined us to talk about her latest podcast, Keeping It in the Family. So just to recap, we'd like to thank Scott and Mitch from the New South Wales Rural Fire <laughs> Service. I haven't had enough coffee. Uh, Sarah Joe from So Shire and Christy Bell from the Volunteer Hub. Now we welcome Sophie and Kirsten to the table. Kirsten's also brought her children along. <laughs> So as they take a seat, we just want to let you know we are here at the Warrenora Boat, Boat Shed. Shed, who is sustainable. Tell me, Sarah, tell me. Well, I've been waiting to come here and I'm glad I'm finally here. They use reusable metal straws. So what that means is they're not using single-use straws. So when you sit in and have a juice, a cocktail, they have a reusable straw. So... That means no plastic straws and also means no single-use paper straws. And we're right on this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful river. So even with paper straws, there's a potential that it could blow into the river. So paper's still litter. It's, you know, a lot less, worse litter than plastic. But reusable straws means no litter and no waste. So I just want to give a very, very big <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Tell me what the straws do, though, like to the environment. So um, one single-use plastic, you know, is a complete waste of resource. You know, mm. we, we have to source the petroleum. We use it for a few minutes and then we throw it in the bin. And then if it doesn't go in the bin, it ends up as pollution. And plastic is quite – plastic straws, for example, that we're talking about, it's actually quite a bad litter for lots of animals because even though it feels like it's bendy, um, you know, it gets down different animals' tracks. There's, you know, pictures around the world you've seen turtles of the straw coming out of the mm. nose. And the problem with plastic straws is they last a long time, like a long, long time. They're going to be around for generations. And when they do break up, they break into smaller bits of plastic. So, you know, these OXO by oxo-degradable straws, don't go them because they just means the plastic straw is breaking down quicker. Um, and they also kind of, well, they're not kind of, they are lightweight. So if a straw goes into the river here, it could end up anywhere. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Most plastic that we have um, have in the world does sink. So about 10%, I'm, you know, these are not the correct statistics, but 
Close enough. Close enough. The stuff we see is actually a very small part of the plastic that is out there in our oceans. But straws is a very easy one to give up. So there's some plastics that are hard to give up because it's actually quite an amazing invention. But plastic straws is such an easy one as individuals and businesses to give up because there are alternatives. You know, you cannot have a straw or, like I said, you go a paper straw or even better, you go reusable straws. Um, and if you really are that addicted, you could carry it around. Like you could do a pen. You got yeah. a pen. There's ones that are bangles. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. Um, there's ones that clip onto my handbag. They're like a little telescopic straw. I've got ones. They're a bit too heavy for my ears. You know my. You know I love my earrings. <laughs> you can hang off your ear. I'm thinking about getting one like a necklace. Yeah. So you just you know put it there when you need yeah. it. Um, that's right. And that's right. Yeah. People, we we love dining with metal cutlery. You know, I'm about to have mm. an avocado smash with metal cutlery. Oh, so <laughs> it's getting people to think about that a metal straw, a reusable straw, the same same is the same same. It's another mm. piece of cutlery, and um, it has to be cleaned like metal cutlery. So I yeah, I'm, I'm I know I can see the passion coming uh, out, and so can everybody else right. on Instagram. And I'm coming back for a cocktail. <laughs> uh, we just want to M M loves to run. Is on and she's saying yes. Yep, definitely. That's right. So Shout cheers. To you, cheers to metal straws. Got my OJ this morning. But so please come down here because I w- we need to support our local businesses that are choo- choosing sustainable options. Yeah. Can you give us, actually, just on that, can you yes. give us a little hint about how to drop the hint to businesses? We did discuss this in week one about how subtle you have to be. Yeah. Um, Stacey um, sent that message in and goes, how do you go to a gym and say, hey, you need to recycle your water bottles. That's right. How do we do that? So she's been, I gave her some solutions and she's, you know, introduced, and there's those stages, you know, like there's, this is better than that. Then the next one, this is even better than this is, you know, the holy grail, you should do this. So there are stages. Um, It depends on the business. Sometimes you can be as brutal and because I haven't thought about it or, you know, if more people go there and asking for these sustainable options, they're more likely to invest in them. Um, other times it's subtle stuff like I just say no straw or, or every time I go somewhere I go, um, what straw do you have? And they go plastic. I say, well, I don't want a straw, thanks. Do you think the businesses get the idea then? Well, if enough of us do it, <laughs> they Especially will. if you're wearing your shirt. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and the thing is people need to think about it. It's like a cost. Yeah. So every plastic straw you don't buy or don't offer even if that's five cents or two cents or yeah. one cent, a hundred of them, there's a dollar. Mm. So if you don't provide plastic straws or paper straws, you're making a very small saving, but it does add up. Yeah. So reusable straws, for example, you've got that original investment, but then that's it. You don't have to buy any plastic or paper straws because you're reusing, like you're using, you know, your metal cutlery. You might lose some, you know, we know what people are like. They steal them, but that isn't that good. They're stealing a reusable straw. That's how they, that's how they take it everywhere they that's go. That's right, exactly. So maybe think about branding your straw. <laughs> oh, listen, you might be onto something, there. <laughs> that's man. right, that's right. Now I want to bring in Soph and Kirsten because uh, they've joined us today here. They're from they're from our Shy Women group who's got their, um, what do you call it, their live on today at Coffee 9 o'clock, Coffee and Connect. Uh, you can literally, you know, join up to the group and you get this great, sort of interaction uh, every month where we talk about all things business. How are you going with your little projects, Oh, I'm well, thanks. Um, well, I personally love the Warrenora Boat Shed and um, this was one of the first businesses that I photographed. Um, I'd actually reached out to Nicola at the end of last year because I started to host workshops and um, when COVID hit, I had to um, cancel the bookings that I had. Mm. 
And so I was really excited when I started the Sutherland Shire Open for Business that I was able to come down here and, and photograph Ian and Nicola. Um, they're the newer owners of the premises and it's looking amazing. It is <laughs> honestly looking so good. Is it a little bit different from when you first came here? Oh, I've been coming here for years. Yeah. I'm I'm not a local of Warrenora, but I'm a local of um, Bangor. And Warrenora Boat Shed has been a hidden secret for all of us locals. Uh, not now. No. no, no. <laughs> Sorry, the rest of the Shire now. No. Table. Oh, honestly, table. I just love these guys. They're just genuinely good people working really hard to create something really Can special. I tell you, that's exactly what we've been hearing all week. Yeah. Genuine good people. Amazing. Doing a family so, business. Love high it. High five to you guys. Now, just on that, we've got family business advisor Kirsten here. She's also one of our shy women. But tell us, what, what have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Because you've been pretty busy. I have been busy. So we've got our uh, Kippy in the Family podcast. So we now have eight episodes and we've also done a, a mini podcast as well. But I wish my co-presenter was here, Angelina. <laughs> Did she not she get would out have of loved- bed? No, <laughs> I did text her. Are you getting to school on time today? She is changing the world one straw at a time. So every time I go to the farmers markets, I have to buy a um, a metal straw for her to gift to another Excellent. another friend. So she is totally supporting your cause. Um, but it's really nice. So yeah, Angelina and I are presenting it together. So my passion is is family business. Mm. So just some statistics, but only 30% of family businesses successfully transition from first to second generation and only 12% make it to third generation. So my passion is to really change that. I just want to kick those statistics out of the park and it's with better education and just family businesses understanding how special they are. Mm. But it's quite special doing it with my family. So Angelina doesn't have um, the knowledge, but she is able to uh, quiz me and ask the questions that probably the listeners are asking. If I get a little bit too technical or something, she'll ask me a question (laughs) and sort of bring me back to this is what we need to know. Um, And I also try to make it that we're talking about businesses so she can see what I'm talking about. So then she can ask relevant questions. And yeah, producer Zane, he likes to be behind the scenes, yes. so he doesn't like to be in front of the in front of the microphone at all. Although we do have a, a podcast coming up where he's actually going to get in front of the um, the microphone, so oh. I'm quite excited about about that one. But we have a new series. Yes, tell us so about the new series. It's ten questions with where we are um, actually speaking to different family businesses to share the story. So the consumer sentiment at the moment is very much about buy local, buy Australian. So I really want to get these amazing family business stories out there so that the consumers know that they're there mm. and that they can come and support them. Bit of synergy there with stuff, isn't it? I know. We seem to get that. All of your all your photos. Uh, I'm like, every morning we, we rock up with a synergy. Honestly, <laughs> the businesses that I'm meeting and the fam, obviously being. A lot of them are small business. Mm. Um, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah incredible. Some really good businesses that you need to be speaking to. Oh, yeah. I'd love to. And yep. so we've done our first one. Mm. So it's a business called Smash Cake. So Smash Cake is a chocolate piñata. So instead of a birthday cake, it's actually a, um, a a chocolate dome or chocolate cake. Like we've one pre- here we've prepared earlier. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've made, I've made one of them. <laughs> and it's filled with lollies. And instead of cutting the cake, you actually smashed the cake. Oh, wow. But this business had to do a big pivot because obviously during COVID, there's no birthday parties and it's quite unhygienic, all these kids' hands going into, into cake. So they've created Smash Pain. Oh, my God, I'm just – So this amazing. is so that they can actually gift it 
So I've actually got a gift for you, Pip. Oh. For you, what? Like our very own. <laughs> and you have to take photos so that everyone can see what we're talking oh about. So this is the Pip Radio Smash Paint. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it. It looks so, so it's beautiful. actually chocolate filled with all sweets. But I just want to say a huge oh thank you to Pip. So I was part of the first masterclass and you have been incredible. And my girlfriend the other day went onto my website and started listening to my podcast. So I actually had a podcast before I did the masterclass, but we nearly had a family exit with my daughter walking out <laughs> on me because I had a phone and I had it totally scripted. And every time someone made a mistake, I go, got to do it again. Got to do it again. Got to do it again. Anyway. My girlfriend went on and she's like, I don't know what happened, but I was listening to your podcast and then there's this one and there's music and an introduction and everything. <laughs> and it's really quite simple and you don't actually need many materials, no. but it just made the world of difference to the listeners. So, Pip, enjoy oh. your very own smash paint. Um, Thank you. As we celebrate much. a family business. Oh. And you'll find out about more of them when, with our 10 Questions with series. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and, you know, because she was one of our shining lights in our masterclass and everybody thought she was so far ahead of everyone else. I said, <laughs> no, she's had a little bit of experience. It's all good. <laughs> but you are definitely inspiring others. And you have in our last masterclass where they've all sort of gone, I want to be where Kirsten is. <laughs> and it's such a short period of time as well. And you've really been able to pull all the elements together. And it does sound fabulous. And we've got people commenting all the time about um, just picking up those little tips and tricks that you've been able to share and uh, and just an under a real general understanding. Because I, what is so special about family business? Just tell me that because oh. I've never been a part of one. It's so. I grew up in one, so oh. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. It's interesting. I was listening to this podcast the other day, Business Wars, and they were um, actually were talking about COVID and they were talking about um, Walmart. And, yeah, someone said, I've got to go home. I feel really, really sick. And um, they said, we're short staff. You've got to stay here and everything. And the person dropped dead the next day with COVID. <sighs> And I was just listening to this and it's just like, we just don't appreciate just how amazing family businesses are. Like there is no way in the world, like their team are their family. There is no mm. way someone's sick, they would make them stay. No matter how short staff they are, they would just roll up their sleeves and make things happen and go, go home, take care, like look mm. after yourself. And I just don't think we appreciate, you listen to stories like that, you just go, oh my goodness, like this is what that corporate world is like just zero care factor for their people. Whereas, yeah, that's where yeah. the family values. And it was interesting when I was interviewing Smash Cake because I've known this business for a long time. And she started, she said, you know, I'm all about honesty and integrity. And I go, you know, there's so much more to your business because mm. a competitor did come into her market, but where she stood out was, was all about quality. Like she just had the most like all of her product, you can see well, it I know, here. It's beautiful. Um, just the we design. And it, <laughs> you don't want to smash it really, no. do you? <laughs> but the design and the quality, the quality of it, and it's all about fun. And she wants to bring fun to other families. So I think that's really extraordinary yeah. as well. So well, that's where the difference. It's interesting. I'm just thinking now. We probably were part of a family business because we owned a farm. But when my dad had a heart attack, he'd only been in the sort of the space for a couple of years, and we literally had all the neighbours come from you know because they're like our family out in the country. Mm. They would they came and ran the farm for him while he was in hospital recovering. Yeah. Um. So I can imagine that that's probably what it's like, and it's even for Ian and Nicola. <laughs> 
they've got their six children that they've dragged into this business. But it's about, like you were saying, transitioning into that next generation. Like I know that my kids don't want to be a podcaster. Yeah, so, yet, in, yet. In, in, in saying that, I, your your son is in all, your yeah, pictures. Yeah, um, and then, I know, yeah. I know, he's when, the model. When I did the masterclass, yeah, yeah, your husband, like every microphone you have, you've got every like pink glitzy one there. He's like, my husband <laughs> bought me this, my husband bought me that. Like there's a lot of family support there exactly. for there you. That's what I'm saying. Like you don't realise <laughs> that it's a family business because, yeah, he, he does like the uh, sound-changing microphones from Kogan. <laughs> Kylene's the same with Smash Cake. I've always taught family business and she's never felt she – was one, but I could see her kids involved, and then she says, yeah. "I hate the the paperwork." Like, and her husband did that. It's like you're not understanding. Like, it really, they were all behind you. They're mm-hmm. supporting you on this, and it was really lovely when we did this podcast because her husband's actually saying, "Maybe I'll leave my job and I join the business." And she's like, "Now it's really becoming more <laughs> of a family business than what she ever thought, even though I've been talking." Or what about she wanted. <laughs> Anyway, I, do, I think that's one of, the, one of the things on the podcast is about that, you know, um, you did a great episode on the Megxit where, you know, families do break apart and there's a lot of conflict because it's such an intimate relationship that you've got. Mm. Um, what, are one of, what was one of the great strategies just you want to share on this podcast about, um, you know, having those conversations is because it was about you, like come, you coming in and being able to facilitate that conversation. Yeah, so the real problem that we have is particularly when businesses start, like everything's going well. So they don't actually want to have the conversations. So it's really trying to talk to them about you need to have it now why everything's really good. <laughs> so in that sort of scenario, like we call it a family rule book, but it's a family constitution or family charter, but you get the whole family together and you talk about all the what if scenarios and you make sure you've got everyone on board and what do you want it to look like? Because yeah, Meg said, yeah, yeah. It, it was a really easy one for me to talk about because it was just so, so public. But had they had that conversation earlier on, not all of your children are going to want to stay in the in the business, mm. and it's okay to leave. But yeah, I always talk about they want their Christmas so much pressure, lunch isn't there? together. Yeah. So that's usually for families. That's the most important thing. But look, there's pressure, and then often, um, even with succession, they don't often talk to the family about it. So maybe the, the person, you know, is like often the eldest or the eldest son or things like that, which is tradition, but maybe they don't want it and maybe they're not the best suited for, for the role. And if you have those conversations, often all the family members will actually agree. Mm. Um, Can so- I tell you, there was an episode, what reminded me of this, there was an episode on Blue, Blood, Blue, Blue Bloods last night <laughs> that was exactly that, where the, he, you know, his son, had joined the cops because his dad wanted him to. Mm. And it was all, it was a real, you know, I just hit home because I just went, oh, my God, that poor kid has joined the cops because his dad wanted him to, but he really wanted to be a gardener. (laughs) And he had to, you know, had to find Mm. a way or an architect or something, and he had to find a way to do it. I'm thinking they're really brave conversations to be able to have with your parents to say, actually, this is not what I want. Yeah, and look, where I think it's getting exciting is, Things people are branching off. Mm. So I was doing a course the other day, and there was a father and daughter, and he ran an agriculture business, and she was a vet. Um, so totally different mm. things, but they can have it under the one branch uh, umbrella. So you can still be uh-huh. a family business and keep it together, even though. And I've seen the same thing. I think it was a property developer and a dentist or something like that. But you can have that family uh, umbrella brand and, and go in different directions, but you have to have the conversation. Who's doing it really well then? <laughs> Give me some examples of who's doing it really well. Look, one of the ones that we always talk about, but um, Scenic World in Katoomba, mm. they um, 
they've had problems throughout the generations, but they are really best practice yeah. and they work really hard on it. And I, I think they have, oh, I think they might have five children and then they've got like multiple grandchildren as well, but uh, they are really a, a best practice scenario. Uh, there's Kennard's uh, Hire and Kennard Storage. They're another. So you wouldn't even know that these know. were family businesses. You think no, they're big organisations. This, this is the thing that people think when you're talking family business, you're only talking small business. Yeah. But the thing that's really important is that they are small business, but they go to the really large size business as well. So, it, yeah, it, yeah. You, you need to look a lot broader. I um, photographed last, about two weeks ago, Cowan Law. Karen from Cowan Law and I went in and I was expecting um, to walk into her office and it all be da-da-da in terms of a lawyer and so forth and I got there and she's actually in with Cowan Electrical which is her father-in-law <laughs> and there they were all sharing the office all working under the name of Cowan mm. but because they have their own businesses under an umbrella it was lovely to see and they were they had banter and they had conversation and it was really nice. So that's exactly what you're saying mm. where, um, you know, it was the daughter-in-law running under the cow-in-law of the mm. father-in-law's name and he's been, and I said, oh, come on, Kevin. I said, you need some photos too. He goes, nah, love, I've been working too hard for too long, you know. And it was just lovely to mm. see. It really mm. was. And, um, yeah, I, and I, I think that's a really interesting um, point that you've made about that family umbrella that you may not like the dentist mm, and the mm. um, other thing that they're not necessarily the same industry but they're all working together for a common goal yeah and, and I, that's all I'm really keen about like let's not just uh things we've sort of always had a bit of a cookie cutter approach mm. and I think we just need to bro Adapt. broaden and um realize that there's we can go so many different directions mm. and still keep that those values so yeah let's look outside the square and come mm. at it from different directions and over in US and Europe, that they can be 15th generation and you think how many people are involved in mm. that, but they branch off. So it can just be husband and wife. Mm. So, like, yeah, there's so many different uh, ways that we can appro approach it and still keep it in the family. So Australia, we're still sort of keeping everything together. So I think we need to sort of, yeah, look at the different alternatives. It's a very good introduction to your podcast, keeping it in the family. Yes. And you can hear about it on Shiapod. That's the great mm. thing about it. I want to thank you for coming down today, uh, all the way down to Warrenora Boat Shed and um, just sharing all the stuff that you've got going on for you. It's great to see whatever's happening, the initiatives during COVID especially. It's just been amazing. Um, just in um, connection with your Cake Smash um, concept, I photographed Debbie the other day from Little One's Party Hire. Have you oh, heard of her? Yes, I think she's doing some Oh, she's doing things. sustainable, <laughs> eco-friendly yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> crates with, um, so if you're having a birthday party and you're um, having, you know, 10 kids, you can order a crate. It's all reusable um, plates, cups, oh, bowls, wow. um, jugs, platters, everything you need. She goes from as little, I think it was about $40 for a crate hire, up to fully organise the, the whole party. So you need to speak to her no, as well. No, no, definitely. Mm. And yep. there's other places, you know, Library of Things, Southern Shire's doing yep. that too, and that's still okay with COVID. Yes. Um. So, yeah, we'll definitely, we have to. I know, this, gonna, this conversation's going to go on after that's right, that's this right. podcast. <laughs> but we do, we do want to say thank you for joining us. It's, it's been a, an absolute honour to hear what's going on in the community. And I love all the initiatives. You guys, you know, some huge amount of synergy going on in this table and birthdays christmas are now sorted <laughs> I, saw, I saw in the living room the other night the chocolate thing and i went how do i now i know <laughs> now i know <laughs> it all. That's right. 
<laughs> all right. I just want to send a shout out to all the people that have joined us this morning, including Lynn Thomas, uh, Leanne Bowes was there today. She was, um, and Donna Robinson, Mary Ann Lee. Just want to send a special uh, shout out to my girls at Joey's Netball Club from last week. <laughs> um, I trained with them again last night, and they it was just fabulous. We had some great feedback on the women's in sport episode last mm. week, uh, and about the grassroots. Know, sports that are going on and how much how important it is in the community to keep those kids active, you know, mental health in a good space um, and and physically as well. Cassandra Coucher, who's got Let's Elevate. Um, Sandra Harmer was on there. Gracie Young from uh, Knuckleheads was also telling us about. But we did want to tell you about um, next week and the week after. So in a couple of weeks, we're at Georgie Porges in Miranda. You can join us there. <laughs> that so whether you have time, money or energy, you can make a difference to the situation of another person in the Shire who is facing the challenges of being homeless or in need. We are proud in the Shire and we want those people to know that we care. We know that pride and shame will also hold people back from asking for help. But during times of need, there's always going to be someone you can turn to, as you've heard on the show today. So if you want to, we will encourage you to actually join a group that currently exists. And if you see a need, you need to fill it. We have so many charities, foundations and organisations with infrastructure already set up to address the problem. And they are always looking for help. So where can we contact everybody? We've got So Shire, we've got the Volunteer Hub, we've got Sophie B is doing this uh, amazing project for business on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, and here at Shire Pod, we want to help you create the content that actually connects to your clients or customers and your audience so that they know what's going on. want to thank our team, Paul, Jacinta, all the crew that are here, <laughs> Nicola and Ian, Amanda for bringing her creative genius again, uh, and the, the loyal listeners that have been tuning in and listening to us. We a special <laughs> thank you to the New South Wales Rural Fire Service um, and we hope you've had a great morning. We're off to see Shire Women at 9 o'clock uh, with a little bit of breakfast. But if you need to follow us, follow us on SS Podcast Station on Facebook or ShirePod on Instagram. Share it with your friends and uh, find all the links and as the, of the businesses that we've mentioned in our show notes and our blog. We are a local uh, media production company creating podcasts that build personal brands and we've had loads of fun this morning. <laughs> so don't forget to leave a comment. You've been listening to the Been There podcast. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> well done.